I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. Don't miss Cold's new Season 3, where I look into the unsolved disappearance of Cherie Warren, a woman last seen leaving her job at a Salt Lake City office in 1985. Police cast suspicion on Cherie's estranged husband and boyfriend, but never made any arrests or recovered Cherie's remains. Find Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie, anywhere you get your podcasts. Project's Voices of Reason. I'm Amy Donaldson. Uh, Jason is here in the studio. He's uh, looking over my shoulder while I try to run the board today. Um, But we have a a unique show and uh, a lot of guests. And so I'm taking the reins, uh, at least at the moment. Jason's definitely going to jump in and give us some opinions. But today we are joined by Sarah Herman. She's the assistant professor of psychology at Weber State University. Uh, Justine Jones, uh, mental performance coach at RJ Performance Group. And uh, Shay Goulding-Meyer, who is the women's head volleyball coach at Salt Lake Community College. Um, Today we're going to talk about uh, sexualization in women's sports. It's been in the news recently. (laughs) Um, There's been a couple of uh, news stories about um, women being told to wear more clothes and women being told to wear less clothes. And I I just wanted to first just throw it out to you. uh, What – when you read these stories as women who work in – the sports universe. What's your gut reaction to to reading a story like that? Shay, I think you first of all, just being told what to wear, just you know, not having a choice. It, I think that really is really really is below the line. I think. I mean, you because you have uniforms as a team. Yeah, definitely. You know? So that yeah, that in that case, we we all have a uniform when we play a game, right? Mm-hmm. We have we have uniforms, and that in the states, what we're talking about right now, which you've brought up recently, is the the handball beach handball in norway right yeah um that's a crazy story do you want to lead into that before we talk yeah we should probably give some background on that so the team was actually fined um for not wearing uh bikini bottoms and I, well I they were wearing bikini bottoms well i thought they, <laughs> were, they, were, wearing the they were wearing some bottoms well, yeah, no, they were wearing um, like spandex shorts. Yeah, they yeah. look like they almost look like volleyball shorts right exactly like yeah. the spandex shorts and i mean they were they just look like workout. I mean, I saw a team photo and it looked like a very athletic team getting ready to play a sport. And um, but they were fined for um, not wearing uh, bikini bottoms like like uh, like what you see in beach volleyball. Right. Um, and they actually had the thing. Uh, they had here's the quote from the article with a close fit and cut an upward angle toward the top of the leg. The sides of the bikini bottoms must be no more than four inches uh, men, on the other hand, can wear shorts as long as four inches above the knee as they as long as they are not too baggy. Um, so for me, the thing was they not only did they say you have to wear bikini bottoms, for which purpose I have no idea, right? So usually, like in volleyball, you wear tight-fitting clothes so they don't get caught in the net, right? Um, there's a reason for uniforms usually aside from we need to know which te- players are on which team. But in this case, there's no good – logical that I can think of explanation for why you would specify how 
like four inches of yeah. Of well, it's so specific, right? I mean, it's an inexcusable double standard that yeah. the men. The only thing that they said was that they should be not too baggy, right? Yeah. And then to be so specific to say it has to have an upward angle to up toward the hip, and that the side can be no longer or no bigger than four inches, I think is what it is. Mm-hmm. That's just. I mean, they, I don't know how you can dance around the fact that that's a little bit sexist. Yeah. I mean, did you have a, a reaction to that? Um, Sarah or Jessica? Justine. Justine. Oh, Sorry. Yeah, no, you're good. I think one of the things that instantly comes to mind of, of having grown up playing sports and now working um, with female athletes often is just that idea of there's so much already going on. Like Shay said, in your sport that you're trying to do at like performance wise specifically. And then now you have to add on all of the other things about your uniform and is it proper and cut and wear and not being able to wear what you feel comfortable in. And not being able to perform in what makes you feel best. And so that's one of the things I think just instantly my reaction is always I feel like women have to think of more things while performing or are juggling more things in their mind yeah. than men do. And a lot of times it comes down to male athletes going, oh, like I didn't even think of that. Oh, I didn't even like I haven't even thought of that before. Mm-hmm. As we're sharing things or as we're getting ready as a female athlete and doing stuff and men have no idea or haven't even thought of that experience. Yeah. Sarah, I wonder – for me, I thought like women have to think of like their appearance and are they appealing? I mean Jason and I have had this discussion a million times about my favorite comedian saying my walk to work is not for your entertainment. Um, But that's how I feel as a woman oftentimes like – Whenever I think, oh, you know, I should wear a cover up to the beach or whatever, I think, look, this is not about anybody's comfort but mine. Mm-hmm. I'm the one going swimming. I don't. If, if this hurts somebody's eyes, they can look away, right? So, <laughs> but I, I just wonder, sort of, the thinking in the fact that women have to be appealing even when they're playing sports, competitive sports. Well, it's no surprise that sexual objectification is endemic in sports and in media and everywhere else, um, right? Anytime we see an illustration such as this one where there are different standards for men and women in terms of dress, in terms of what you wear, then that is inherently sexist, right? You're treating people differently. And, you know, if we were looking at something like swimming, for example, or, or some of the track and field sports where it's advantageous to wear less clothing, right? It's it's good not to have resistance or drag. Um, then that's going to benefit you so the rules are applied equally. But in this case where you have, uh, again, this discrepancy between the standards that you have for women, which are, again, oddly specific um, as compared to the very loose rules that apply for men. You know, I think it's a I think it's a reflection of the broader um, sort of discrimination that we see outside of sporting situations. as well. And I think we don't think of I've said this before. Feminism has not reached sports. And maybe Shay will have an opinion on this because you've been a player and now you're coaching. But I feel like feminists and progressives don't think of sports as a place that you have to worry about sexism. And I feel like it colors everything, how much funding you get, what teams are available, uh, what what how you how you recruit right there's so many things about it that are um you know what days you play you know is the snack bar open there's just all these tiny li- no i mean there's yeah. these seem like dumb things but yeah. if you don't make any, any money that's always a thing well th- you guys you're not a revenue sport right am i wrong no no i think you're right and i think um obvi- that's where i when i see this and i think that's what they're thinking is how can we make this a bigger revenue sport let's make it appealing and so i see this as 
I don't know, maybe a woman wrote this. I can't imagine it, but I think a man wrote this with the idea of like, how can we make this more appealing to a bigger audience? How can we get more viewers? How can we, you know, all this different stuff. No but one I, wants to watch women compete unless they're appealing. Yeah, right, right. Yeah. And I, you know, it's been said, we were just talking about, you know, how that's in different sports all the time. But you think what you just kind of addressed is, Women's sports has come a long ways. I mean, really, we're just Title IX was in 1972, 73. So that's relatively a short history. And when we first started being able to be recognized as athletes, we were looking at, uh, I think they were, they were stereotyped as too masculine, right? Or maybe lesbian or whatever, right? And so I think we've come a long ways in that feminism, being feminine, feminine and an athlete, can be a beautiful thing, but we've almost now we've gone almost too far, right? Mm-hmm. So there has to be some line where we get to choose how we want to be there. I mean, some people embrace the masculinity of it and some people want to embrace the feminism of it, but it should be our choice. So I I also think, and I, I'm not sure, Justine or Sarah, if you have thoughts on this, but the I think the sexism in the media, because the media is mostly male, I, I, every year they're going to release how many men were at the Olympics covering Olympic sports? And I'm going to tell you right now, it's going to be upwards of 85 to 90 percent male. And it's going to be similarly um, white, especially in the U.S., Canada, the, the, you know, the, 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 the stories we are getting, right, mm-hmm. the U.K. And so when, I think when you have that framework or that lens on women's sports, you're going to get sexist coverage. And I don't know, do you see some solution to that problem? I know that's a huge problem. You have one minute. <laughs> I don't see a solution. Statistically, we know that women's sports continue to be cover less, covered less than men's sports do. Really, fractions less. I, less than 10%, I think, at last check. And actually, to comment on the sort of femininity aspect, too, you're even less likely to get coverage if you are in a sport that's considered less traditionally feminine, right? Think about the attention that's devoted to gymnastics or to figure skating as compared to women's boxing. So to a certain extent, you are playing to the expectations of the people who are in charge about, well, people want to see skin, right? Sex sells. Although statistically, it doesn't sell but we're only sports. selling We're only selling it to, to certain people. Right. We're not selling it to everybody. Um, oh, no. And there's know. interesting um, negatives associated with what happens when women or young women, uh, aspiring athletes, see sexualized athletes. Um, we're going to take a little break. And when we come back, we're going to continue this discussion with our very esteemed panel. Uh, you're listening to the Voices of Reason. A gun in the face. Then all of a sudden they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. Started two years of horror for an American in Venezuela. They said, you need to give us your phone and get ready because you're coming with us. I'm Becky Bruce, and I spent a year researching and piecing together Josh and Tammy Holt's story about their ordeal in a notorious prison. That's when everything started to turn bad. We had another pound on the door. Boom, boom, boom. And there was the police once again. You can binge all of the episodes of Hope in Darkness on kslpodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Podcasts. 
season. I'm Amy Donaldson. Uh, Jason Lee is in studio. He's uh, taking a backseat this week because we're talking about um, sexualization of women in sports. Um, uh, I was thinking about this as we were discussing the topic. Is there an aspect of our lives that's not sexualized? But we'll, we'll ask one of our panelists <laughs> this in just a second. Uh, we're joined today by Sarah Herman. She's the assistant professor at, of psychology at Weber State University. Justine Jones, who's a mental performance coach at RJ Performance Group. And Shay Goulding-Meyer, who's the head volleyball coach at Salt Lake Community College. Um, so, Sarah, I, I, is there an aspect of women's life publicly that we that is not sexualized? In a word, no. Okay. In fact, I actually, when I mentioned to my dad that I was coming down today to do a podcast on sexualization of women in sports, he said, well, why should sports be any different from the rest of life? And that is true. I So I study education, which is a domain where we see, you know, sexualization and different expectations and discrimination uh, between men and women is also paramount. Um, uh, so no. Yeah. <laughs> there, it's not. Uh, yeah. It's, I, I would say it's not any different. So interestingly, there was a Paralympian. So we have the handball team who gets in trouble for not wearing, not wearing, revealing enough clothing. And then you had a Paralympian who, um, I don't, I don't know that she got in trouble from officials, but she took a lot of heat for uh, her, her, they, they call it her kit, her briefs and, and her tank top being too revealing. And I looked at it and thought that's a standard track outfit that I see on every track athlete these days. And um, she has cerebral palsy and she's competing in the Paralympics and she's a heck of an athlete. And I was I was I was just I was stunned. I did not have an even a thought. Did either of you when you read that story, Shay or Justine, think about I mean, to me, looking at that, like like somebody pointed out on, on, when we were offline, it's actually covers up more than the required bikini briefs <laughs> that the handball team got in t- trouble for not wearing. I think, I guess talking about her outfit is just, to me, it comes down to women consistently deal with not enough, too much, like being stern and bossy, but not being mean and bitchy. I don't know if I'm allowed to say that word, but um, right, like it's constantly part of what we deal with. And then I, I think it goes back to it doesn't change in sport. Depending on women's bodies, too, we so many different bodies, and in one body that's deemed appropriate, and you put it on another woman's body, and all of a sudden, because of how they're shaped, height, size of whatever, now all of a sudden it's inappropriate. And again, I guess it goes back to me of who's the one making it inappropriate, and oftentimes that's not the person who's trying to wear the uniform. It's the the person who is doing the objectifying. The first thing this actually made me think of as an education researcher is that like, oh, this is just part of the broader policing of women's attire and of women's bodies. You look at, you know, dress codes that start as early as elementary schools that uh, try to regulate especially what girls are wearing and especially what girls of certain shapes are wearing because their clothing is deemed, you know, not appropriate for a learning context because it's too distracting. Yeah. No, I I, I, I'm always curious about those uh, in the public schools. Uh, I had two daughters who went through the public school system and one, they went to two different schools and those dress codes were similar, but they were enforced completely differently. And at one school, the principal told me the dress code is an old man, my a guy my age, <laughs> an old white man, enforcing a dress code against teenage girls. And I'm not going to analyze their clothes in a way that um, anybody can – you know, can talk to me about. So he felt very uncomfortable. And and I remember my daughter telling me she got dress coded for wearing running shorts. She was on the cross country team 
and uh, she had running shorts on in uh, her for her last class of the day, and she got uh, a ticket or whatever it is, and was devastated because she never got in trouble in high school. So my other daughter would have been like, whatever. <laughs> um, but I uh, I also think that um, uh, I, I sorry. Um, I wanted to point out that it actually was an official that went to this uh, runner and said, um, do you have some shorts or you should consider wearing shorts? Your um, briefs are too revealing. And I just wonder um, like how – this is an official. So this isn't a media person. This isn't somebody on TV. This isn't a troll on Twitter. This is a person who can literally decide whether or not your jump is good, right? You're a long jumper. What 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 do you do about that? I mean, Shay, what do you tell a player as a coach if you hear something? Well, like that? first of all, like kind of what Justine said in the very beginning. Now, now this athlete is thinking about things that shouldn't be. They shouldn't have to be thinking about. You know, am I hanging out here? Am I what? You know, like they should be per, per deciding or thinking about their performance and not whether or not their attire is right or wrong. That's. I think that's the biggest thing that we're discussing here is that it's really – I don't think men are often wondering if their shorts are, you know, too baggy or not. You know, that's that's not affecting their game at all, but we really are having to think about all those things. So what's the answer? Can we get away from it or do you just tell women to just ignore it? There is actually – so there's research first, I should say, to support that performance declines when people are self-objectifying, meaning they're thinking about how their body looks as compared to what their body is capable of doing. There was a study that had people self-object – women specifically self-objectify and then throw a softball, and they found that women who were made to self-objectify uh, performed more poorly on this physical task compared to those who didn't, largely because – and it's a tax on working memory, uh, your ability to juggle multiple inputs at the same time cognitively. Um, there is some research to suggest that there are ways uh, to kind of get around this self-objectifying tendency and maybe some of its detrimental effects, including having role models, uh, being exposed to role models and specifically, you know, athletic performance and Getting people to switch off that self-objectification of this is how my body looks and instead to focus on this is what my body is capable of doing uh, to, you know, sort of circumvent that. Can you define self-objectification, uh, I guess? Is what that is? Yeah. So self-objectification theory um, – Objectification theory more broadly um, is essentially the focus on how a body looks as compared to what the body does. So when we self-objectify, right, like you said, if you're, you know, I, I can't remember if this is off air or not, but when you're on your walk and somebody whistles at you or looks at you in a certain way, all of a sudden you're thinking about how you look as compared to what it is that you're doing. And it is easy enough to induce people to self-objectify by just having them look at a sexualized image, right? Once you see uh, a sexual ad, for example, then that makes you think about how, how you look as compared to that. Well, which is every ad, in my opinion. But we're going to take a little break. And when we come back, we're going to continue this discussion. You're listening to the Voices of Reason. Voices of Reason. This is Amy Donaldson. I am joined by Jason Lee, but he's taking a back seat as we're talking about sexualization in women's sports. 
And we have an all-star crew in the studio with us today. We're joined by Sarah Herman. She's an assistant professor of psychology at Weber State University. Justine Jones, who's a mental performance coach at RJ Performance Group. And Shay Shay Goulding-Muir. And that is a mouthful. Mm-hmm, <laughs> She's the head volleyball coach at uh, Salt Lake Community College. And uh, um, so I wanted to ask, first of all, Justine, how do you help women specifically, female athletes specifically, um, juggle that? If I mean, if, it's it's going to be a fact of life. Like you, we just said, it's in everything. Yeah. There's no way of getting around it. So what, what advice do you give them or what tips? I think a couple of the things that we hit on is – a lot of work and self-talk, right, of learning how to communicate better with yourself. So no matter where in performance, you're going to get other people's views. And so I think learning to direct the conversation with yourself, not all of your thoughts are true. And so being able to have what other people are saying to you and what you're saying to yourself be positive and I guess in a more growth mindset of how am I bettering myself? What is my purpose in being here? What is my objective in playing the sport? That I'm here for a reason. It's not for anybody else's just enjoyment. Right? Like I'm not here to be somebody's eye candy, that this is me to be able to play and I'm doing this for me. And then I think a lot too in in working in the focus and the concentration pieces of learning con- to control it. And um, Sarah probably knows that back in the day, there was a lot of you just thought you either had good concentration skills or not. And then psychology really took off on learning how to improve those skills. And so a lot of time just spent on redirecting thoughts, redirecting focus and attention. And then again, just the more that you practice it, the more that you go back to having those thoughts, like the earlier study that she talked about going from thinking about that to where does my performance need to be? Where does my focus need to be? And when? And getting those cues for women back on point, I think, is some of the ways we really start to redirect from outward focus more towards an inward focus. And Sarah, you talked about um, self-objectification. What what was the other study that you mentioned about the? So So the study that I mentioned was about how self-objectification decreases physical performance, right, and throwing this softball. But they also did a version of this study where they had women wear bathing suits and then take a challenging math test. Or they had women not wear bathing suits and take the challenging math test. And, of course, when you're wearing a bathing suit and you're asked to say how you think about it, you're, you're self-objectifying. You're thinking about how you look in this swimsuit that they've given you. And they found that women then performed more poorly on the math test if they were wearing a bathing suit as compared to the women who weren't. Because, again, it's taking away from this working memory that you need to be devoting to this hard task, be it your physical performance or be it uh, the cognitive performance. That is fascinating. I have two thoughts. The first one is when I was in Rio covering the Olympics, I remember going, I was at the beach trying to talk to regular people about having the games there and and just getting some slice of life uh, quotes, right? And people were not wearing very much. (laughs) There were lots of people who were just enjoying the beach and enjoying the sunshine. And I just had this epiphany Look how much joy they have. They're just enjoying the fact that the Olympics are here. There are these. Uh, there was beach volleyball on the on the beach. It was an incredible scene, and they were just having a great time with friends and family. And they were eating and drinking and and not wearing any clothes because it was really hot. <laughs> and I just remember thinking, I would be obsessed with how I looked at this moment, and the, and it would kill any joy that I had. And I always try to think about that whenever I worry about, oh, should I wear these pants or should I wear these shorts or whatever? I think, think of Rio and have fun. Don't don't be the killer of your own joy. 
Um, and then the other thing is that Jason and I, one of the first conversations we had about sexism was um, the reason that I dressed pretty masculinely, mm-hmm. <laughs> to use a gendered you know term. I didn't dress like uh, you know I didn't I don't wear makeup I didn't wear heels and I did it so that I didn't have incident I had been sexually harassed and I found that if I just dressed more plainly people just left me alone and let me do my job but I wonder now if it also allowed me to focus because I'm not thinking about myself as somebody that people find attractive I've taken that out yeah, of the so equation. Long, so long as you're not thinking about whether you're dressed masculinely enough. And by the way, yeah. you, you join a grand tradition of academics of a period of time, academic women that wanted to dress in you know as male a way as possible mm-hmm. um, so as to avoid any uh, unwanted and attention. And I think my thinking was let's dress as plain as possible, right? Mm-hmm. Like so I'm not noticed and mm-hmm. I can do my job. Peacocking. Yeah. Like, like, yeah. like like yeah. peacock, like a peacock puts his big feathers up, and I think it's a, it's a term. I don't maybe know where I heard it from, but yeah. women, right? Like if you're dressing up and if you're doing whatever, then it's obviously for male attention, and and like that idea. And so that's one of the things. I mean, I work in a very in sports, at least in where I'm at in the teams that I work with, it is heavily male. And mm-hmm. I remember there was a moment I looked around and I was like, I am the only female even on this field, like mm-hmm. around forty plus people, and it's that same thing of maybe not recognizing that I wasn't. Trying to peacock, but I was intentionally not getting ready. I, I want to be noticed for my brain. I want to be able to help you, all these things, and not in, I think, an overly confident way that, of course, everyone's looking at me, but I want it so far from anyone thinking in that direction that I'll overcompensate in athletic clothes and even being self-conscious about wearing leggings to practice, right? Like stuff like that, that I'm like, maybe I should only wear joggers. I should only ever present myself that I'm this professional so that no one ever gets the wrong idea or even that higher ups, right? Who mm-hmm. who are my bosses that hire us? I think they're it's, not I think the it's interesting idea. that you're saying the wrong idea. How right. many times have I heard women say that? Yeah. What is the wrong idea, right? Like, what, right. why are you having any idea about my clothes at all? Do you have players who struggle with this? Well, I, I think certainly, you know, just I have a lot of thoughts going on, like just just how much wasted brain energy that is that we are, you know, even thinking about those things or thinking we need to dress down or dress up or whatever the case may be. But certainly um, just, just the idea of this of justification or this, this unhealthy obsession with body image. There are lots of girls who are at a young age looking to this. And it's a beautiful thing, right? I don't think we should not admire somebody who's really worked hard on, hard on their body, right? Mm-hmm. There's, I think that's a beautiful thing. And I also think what's beautiful, what you saw in Rio, I think I was in Vegas not too long ago, and I'm like, <laughs> I would never wear that. But, but I was like, wow, that is some self-confidence that she can walk around in that outfit. I would never do it because I, my brain would be thinking a million things, and I'd be worried about how to keep everything inside, you know. But there's there's beauty in that too, right? I mean, why can't we just be who we want to be? But where I was going is there is an unhealthy obsession with body image. And do I look like her? Do I look like, you know, what I should, 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 should be looking at looking like? And I think um, I've certainly had not, not a lot, but too many. I think if I've had one or if I've had two or if I've had five, it's been too many girls that have dealt with eating disorders or even addiction, fitness addictions, that's a thing where they just work out too much. You, you got you to gotta stop them from working out too much because they feel like if they just ate that cookie, they got to go get back on the treadmill. And um, that's, it's concerning. It's a real thing. Yeah. And that's another interesting thing. I wonder your thoughts on this, Sarah. Um, 
I when I interviewed years ago, I just used to do a fitness column and I would interview just people that what I thought athletes. Right. And I noticed over time that the men were working out or or pursuing something athletic because it was their passion. They'd grown up doing it. Um, They loved it. And for women, quite often the workouts were, you know, training was tied to. Well, I needed to lose 10 pounds or I had a, so many women who became athletes because they had a baby or they were trying to lose 100 pounds or and they want to get bikini ready. Yeah, exactly. And so theirs was Hot always tied somewhere. to like this. What I felt was like a punishment for being human. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah, it's punishment. <laughs> and I wondered like it was so weird that it stood out to me when there was a woman who said, oh, this was my passion since I'm five years old. I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, she's so weird. Do you see that? Or have they studied that, why women get into athletics versus men? So I'm not familiar with that literature specifically, but I can certainly talk about, you know, the norms that we expect, you know, that women are supposed to look good, right? This is part of what kind of ends up leading to the the objectification. And then the self-objectification is that, you know, we exist to be looked at and to be enjoyed. Um we know that people who dispositionally tend to have these higher self-objectifying tendencies who tend to be more focused about how other people see them statistically tend to have higher rates of disordered eating, lower self-esteem, higher body shame. So certainly that is consistent. But uh, I'm a social psychologist, not a clinical psychologist, so I avoid anything pertaining to disorders. Yeah. I mean, and I'm wondering as far as the coaching goes, do you run into that with the the eating disorders? Is it more common with women than men? Yeah. Actually, I'm going to hold that over because we're going to talk okay. about this in a little bit more in depth. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to continue talking about sort of what are the ramifications of sexualizing women in sports. Uh, you're listening to the Voices of Reason. the Voices of Reason. This I am Amy Donaldson, and Jason Lee is alongside, but he's uh, being a quiet IT guy today. Uh, we're joined today by Sarah Herman. She's an assistant professor of psychology at Weber State University. Justine Jones, who is a mental performance coach at RJ Performance Group. Shay Goulding Muir, uh, who is the women's volleyball coach at Salt Lake Community College. Uh, we're, we're discussing sexualization in women's sports, and um, Justine, I was going to toss to you in the last segment, but but just can you give me your thoughts on sort of what you run into as as far as men versus women and and uh, are are there different issues are eating disorders more prevalent um i think women i have there's it's more prevalent in women's sports but i don't want to just like fully discount that it doesn't happen to men cuz it does um but i think in the women's side um at least it's changing but there's still a lot of male coaches coaching female sports and sometimes I don't know if they know how to go about the 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 conversations in the right way because I I think there's absolutely a fitness level that has to be obtained in sports and coaches understand that um but I think it's different for men how they deal with weight or like oh you got to lose a couple pounds to a guy it's like a side comment to a woman who's dealt with it for many years or has been sexualized or objectified whatever many times or has felt that, then all of a sudden it becomes a much bigger burden. And so that's where I think sometimes just the conversation or where a lot of growth could happen is um, 
male coaches having a better understanding of what those conversations about women's bodies are. Um, and I and I sometimes about fitness, I guess, yeah, yeah fitness yeah. versus you know, um, you, you looking good, like how right. you measure fitness. Versus, right. I think yeah. we're getting better. I do think. I do. I mean, and Shay, you had some thoughts on just sort of. The sexual just and maybe maybe it is a problem. Yeah, no, I think what we're talking about is a real issue. Yeah, but I also think that we, you know, we might be stirring up some dirt that isn't always there. We've come a long ways here in the states. What this that this happened in with the Norwegian team in 2021 is kind of crazy. I coach beach volleyball, and I've been playing beach volleyball. And the NCAA doesn't allow us to wear bikinis. We wear tank tops and shorts. The NJCA we wear tank tops and shorts. So. And I'm around, I, I play sports because I'm passionate about them and I'm really not thinking too much about who's looking at me. I'm not playing it at a, you know, in a, with a huge spotlight right now or, or coaching in that way. But, but you're, I feel but you're like, coaching athletes that are and what are they Yeah, yeah. Like? And I don't think they think that much about it, but I, I do know that they're worried about body image. I do know. I hear different things about, you know, I'm going to cut out my carbs so that I can do da da da, you know, and, and why are they cutting out carbs? Is it to be better on Tuesday in our match or is it to look better in their spandex? You know, there's probably a little bit of both going on. So it's a real thing. But um, I also think that there's a lot of women today that are able to make choices and we are in a situation where we're able to make more choices than we've ever been able to make before. But we have to, we have to honor and respect and and um, honor and respect choices and honor and respect um, who we are, mm -hmm. whatever size, shape or form we come in. And I think it's a lot of it is just education and educating a lot of male coaches. It is. I have always been one of the few women coaches in a room, you know, and I think it's important to kind of just keep educating as I know a lot of fantastic male coaches mm -hmm. that really want to coach the right way and are doing a fantastic job of it, of building self-image in the women that they coach. So it kind of goes both ways. Well, and I think, um, uh, and any of you can give me your thoughts on this, I do think men have, a they're at a little bit of a disadvantage Absolutely. on this because they don't grow up, like I say, we get soaked in this sauce from day one. Right. Mm -hmm. um, you're coming up, you're, the clothes you wear, the ads you're looking at, the teen idols you're you know trying to aspire to look like or be like or whatever i think the younger generation like probably the girls you're coaching now they have a ton of really awesome female athletes to look up to of all bodies i didn't i i admired larry bird and wayne gretzky that's true <laughs> it's true it's true i think we did have more male male athletes to aspire to be like and i think today there's a lot of role models and um, with social media, there's a lot of ways to look at it, right? And it, it can come at you in different angles and affect you in different ways depending on how you're looking at it. But definitely. I'd love to just go around the horn, like some final thoughts on if you're the parent of a daughter or if you're a young woman who wants to play sports or is kind of struggling with this whole idea. I mean, what are, what are some of the words of encouragement you would give people on this subject? And especially as you're consuming the Olympics this time around, mm -hmm. too. Yeah, I would say either as a parent or if you're sort of a, a young person who's consciously consuming media, you know, you try to attend to the people who are setting good examples, maybe these, you know, not overly sexualized examples, um, just a, a, no, a little bit of research, and I'll just sprinkle it in real fast. <laughs> we know that statistically, this is research from Elizabeth Daniels, who's at the University of Colorado at Colorado Springs. Um, she's found that 
athletes, when you show them performing their sport, uh, that that is when they are rated as being, you know, the highest in athleticism, the highest in competence, um, as compared to these more sexualized images of them. um, And that those types of portrayals, right, of people really performing uh, what they're great at, that's what gets people into these sports. That's what gets them in as uh, participants um, and also as spectators. Justine, did you have some? I think the thing that I would add to is just the conversations as parents that you are having around women's sports. I think as a dad, you should be watching and supporting women's sports if your daughter is playing and um, being not having those conversations of, I don't want to watch women's basketball or whatever it might be, but being a, a true advocate for it, not just in supporting your kid, but supporting the sports altogether. And moms, t- moms too, in the same way, I'm, I'm families all together, the conversations we have. And I think as parents being able to point out like, holy cow, she's so good at her sport. I think she worked so hard, not, oh my gosh, she looks so good in that uniform. Right. Like, but even as parents and, and friends and teammates, um, that Shay mentioned, but just being able to like surround yourself and continue to put out what you want to see in sports. So if you want more women in sports, then how are you helping? And what are you actually doing to advocate for it? Are you attending games? Are you, the Olympics coming up. Are you watching these things? Are you retweeting those things? Um, And I think that's how you continue to grow. I think we're just at the start of seeing what women can really start to do in sports. For so long, it was like, oh, we have to separate. And now at younger ages, they're still blending them and still letting them play together for longer amounts of times. And I think that is huge in our progression to not have to have these huge divides. And I think it's not just about bl- not blending them, but it, that there, women are getting resources at younger ages Absolutely. and development programs that are raising the level uh, across the board in every sport. Shay, did you have some? Oh, yeah. It's it's incredible to see what the, how young these athletes are starting and to see what they're doing at young ages. I mean, they, they're these girls can play like boys. And that's just, I was, as I was hearing <laughs> yeah. her, I, I love that she said, you know, get, dads get out there and watch and support and cheer them on for their efforts, not for how they look, right? But cheer them for their, what they're doing and, and praise their, their efforts and their hard work. Um, and another thing I was just thinking as she was saying that, I was like, if you got little boys, don't ever say, hey, you're throwing like a girl. Right. I can't stand that. You know, like, I, I know a lot of girls can I, throw really well. And, <laughs> so, and, yeah, we've got some uh, Olympians that I'd love to throw like. Right, right, right. <laughs> so Yeah, I, I think, you know, I guess my final thoughts on this too would be, as you're consuming it, like hold media accountable. Uh, if they're not covering women's sports, if they're not showing women in a in – in a, I, I remember calling out our own organization – for showing women constantly on the floor or crying or a picture of the bench rather than these really wonderful athletic poses that the men were always shown in. You know, they're like doing a slam dunk or a layup or they're running or they're doing something spectacular, right? What we love about sports is it's pushing our physical bodies and our mental capabilities to the limit and show us, show women doing that in a way that's, aspirational and that's my advice is hold people accountable when you see these articles or when you hear a commentator say something dumb which you're gonna hear (laughs) because it's mostly guys and a lot of them are older guys and again I, i hate to say it's generational but some of it is and some of it is that you can't consume what doesn't exist and we need to push media companies to start giving us what we want to see and that is anybody who's been to watch women's volleyball 
it's incredible. And I know so many men who are into sports who have never seen a college level women's volleyball game. And I said, you have no idea how much fun it is and what you're missing out on. And you don't even the thing is, there's some sports you have to know the rules and you have to know a lot to to enjoy. Not not volleyball. I mean, and there's probably a lot of sports like that. But I want to thank you guys for joining us. I love this conversation. I hope it continues. I hope people are having these conversations in their own workplaces and homes and 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 friend groups because uh, I I think it's the only way that we eventually get to a place where we like what we care about what people wear in sports <laughs> um, other than it's the, the required uniform. So thank you so much uh, for joining us. Join us again for the next episode of the Loudmouth Project's Voices of Reason. If you have comments about the show, please contact us via email at voramed at gmail.com or jason, that's with an E, L at gmail.com or on Twitter at AD on Sports or at Jason Lee One. Our show's Twitter handle is at VOR Podcast. Check out our Facebook page and you can also find and subscri- subscribe to free episodes of our podcast on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and the KSL app, and any place where you find interesting content. Be sure to review our show as well. We'd love to get your feedback as it helps us grow our audience. Until next time, I'm Amy Donaldson. When you engage in passionate debate, do your best to keep your dialogue civil. Try to be the voice of reason. Voices of Reason is a production of the Loudmouth Project. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. Don't miss Cold's new season three, where I look into the unsolved disappearance of Cherie Warren, a woman last seen leaving her job at a Salt Lake City office in 1985. Police cast suspicion on Cherie's estranged husband and boyfriend, but never made any arrests or recovered Cherie's remains. Find Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie, anywhere you get your podcasts.